Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More. Where we strive to discover more through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast will serve as a space to exchange ideas from the collective experience. One of the things that you kind of glossed through was that you're still, you know what doesn't work for you, right? So you're still trying to find your passion, more or less, which I've honestly been trying to find since, you know, we were born or could think, really. But I heard this one thing the other day. I forget what podcast it was on, but they were discussing the idea of developing your passion rather than finding your passion, right? So it doesn't fall down from the sky and like land on the ground next to you one time. You never like find it. It's something that you need to like move towards, right? Or like recognize the things that um, you kind of like feel in your gut that like makes sense to do, and then you just like go after those things in a way.、Um, you have to like continue to develop the passion for that specific thing, right? So, I've personally been enjoying fitness a lot, or you've been enjoying books a lot. Like, you kind of, I recently opened a fitness Instagram. You've had a book Instagram for a good while. Like, you run at the things that you. Are enjoying or that we gravitate that, towards. That you gravitate towards,、yeah. right? So, same reason why we're out here. You know, there's a lot of powerful ideas out there that I think just need to be brought to light or brought to voice in a way. Or, I guess, what in your life currently do you see, I don't know, something to move towards or grow towards? Like, are there things that you could see could be a passion down the line, but you might have not grown it quite yet? Yeah, so I'm pretty、um, calculative. Um, so, I already like the typical like, interview questions of, oh, where do you see yourself in five years? I know exactly how it will be. So, I'll be in my career in nonprofit for two years. And my plan is to go to DC, attend a school of foreign service in Georgetown, because that is、uh, one of the best,、um, most well recognized and、uh, safest route to become a diplomat、uh, because of my、uh, quilingual skills,、uh, language skills. But of course, like what we, talk, what we talked about before, I'm not, I, I'm, there's no way for me to、uh, tell if that's going to be a route, right? Maybe I'll finish my two jobs here, or my job here, and then go to DC.、Uh, I get, get into school and this other program. Maybe I absolutely hate it. Maybe I love it,、mm-hmm. but there's only one way to find out is when I actually get there. It's like two ideas. Idea one is the foresight versus hindsight, right? Now I have the foresight of this is what I want to do. I want to utilize my undergraduate experience of economics. And international relations, which is qualitative and quantitative, and put that into something on a macro scale of、uh, diplomacy because I really believe the American government could use a little bit more, especially under the current、um, administration.、Uh, but at the same time, I might hate it, right? And so 
yeah, the hindsight is always 2020, uh, maybe 2030. I'm not sure until, I don't know, uh, five years down the road. Uh, but at least that's the path I'm choosing to embark on. But I'd like to go back to your previous uh, talking point is about finding your passion. Because uh, I'm not sure if you read the book about grit by Angela Duckworth. Because grit really th- determines how far you go in life, right? But a lot of people, I think, have a lot of a huge uh, stigma or misconception about grit. Is people when you when you think about grit, what do you think of, Aiden? Hard work. Hard work, right? Perseverance. Don't quit. Mm-hmm. Dedication. Yep, dedication. Persistence. Yep, persistence. Uh, stick it through. But she actually uh, disputes that uh, as like a fallacy. Sure, grit is about perseverance, being gritty, being sticking through. But it's not about. It's not always about not quitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, Doc Ward, she talks about grit as finding what doesn't work for you and quit early on. Because mm-hmm. we, everyone is given a finite amount of resource and time and talent. So if you unwisely allocate time towards something you hate that makes you miserable, then it's not worth it. So like with the Olympians or anyone competing at the highest level, they didn't stick it through with everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like Freakonomics is one of the pockets I listen to the most. And then the, uh, the host and the economist, he talks about he quit a lot of things in life because he attempts a lot of things in life, right? It's like finding passion. It's, how do you find a passion? Through experiments, right? Mm-hmm. You have to experiment in life to find what works for you, but at the same time, what does not work for you. And that's what Doc Worth is talking about. Grit is not about quit. It's not about not quitting, but rather quit early on in stage. And once you find what works for you, stick to it. Then that's when you be really persistent and perseverance and sticking towards the end. You know, so mm-hmm. that's my mantra and that's like my process. Uh, I'm trying to find what does not work for me so I can quit early on. Mm-hmm. So I can reserve my allocation of energy and my effort to something I'm really passionate about mm-hmm. and I really dedicate fully, fully to what I align uh, myself with. Mm-hmm. How do you think people these days are approaching that? Do you think people stick with things that they hate for too long or do you think that people bounce around too much? Like there's a lot of not to say controversy, but just a contrast of a lot of millennials switching jobs, trying new experiences, quitting a job after less than a year, which, you know, older generations have been sticking a job out for 20 years, waiting for their 401k to vest and then cashing out and retiring. Like, it's almost unheard of for someone to be quitting or having three jobs in two years, you know, but I think that's a valuable thing that our generation is learning. Is that something that you've seen or, I don't know, I'm sure with the management consulting where people, was there, how was the turnover there? Uh, turnover is fairly high, but yeah, I think that's a, a very good question in a way that it's loaded because it encompasses a lot of aspects. I think uh, because of our current economy, we definitely, the older gen- the pattern is this, the older generation always shits on the previous generation, right? Mm-hmm. And the millennials, we heard this over and over again is oh you guys are soft you guys are weak you guys don't have the the greediness that we used to have but the truth of the matter is the the baby boomers all they needed was a high school diploma mm-hmm. they get a college degree they get a job and have that for 30 years buy a house buy cars and everything yeah. we're living in such like economic uh turmoil with politically socially economically that we just live in a different era but i think due to economic and financial constraints a lot of millennials or a lot of people generally speaking, are stuck in a position that even if they absolutely hate their current life and their job, they're forced to be in it. The problem is that people 
buy fancy stuff they don't know need, right? Mm-hmm. They buy a house or whatever, just these materialistic means to showcase, to show build, to to live that lavish lifestyle. And so they're forced to work for a job they fucking hate to maintain that flashy, unnecessary extra lifestyle. So it's a mm-hmm. vicious cycle, you know? And I wanted to break out of this cycle. That's why I quit my uh, management consulting role a years ago. Um, and of course, I'm coming from a, a privilege is that I didn't have that much financial need. I didn't have any debt. So I was in a, a position of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's definitely not for everyone. And of course, everyone has their own problems, uh, upbringings. And I just want to acknowledge that. Uh, but yeah, I, I think a lot of people, I think, I think there's definitely more people who don't quit. Yeah. And there's not enough, there's not enough people, at least now, that quit early. Because okay. if you if you quit early, you really, because the reason why mistakes are costly because it takes time to fix. Mm-hmm. But for us, when you're mid twenties, even early twenties, is that we have a lot of time. We're not married. We don't have a mortgage. We don't have a lot of luggages that we can afford to make mistakes because mm-hmm. it takes time to make mistakes. But when you're young, the youth of and time are to our most invaluable assets that we have. But what do you think makes changing jobs a mistake, right? Because if you're able to voice your decision in a way that makes it seem like a deliberate choice to switch jobs saying, Hey, I was unhappy there. I think if I can channel my energy in a positive way towards a job that I feel passionate about, or, you know, you might have to take a five or $10,000 loss or something like that, but it's not going to be drastically changing your lifestyle, right? Just one that you don't, excuse me, don't hate as much, but one that you find more passionate or have more time to do the things that you actually like. I mean, that seems like why there's a lot of people that do uh, like restaurant work or bartending or cooking. Like, yeah, they might not love it. It's high stress. It's fast paced. They don't get paid a whole ton. Well, actually with a lot of the nicer restaurants for sure, but they're doing it for a, the sense of community there, but nine out of 10 times so they can pursue a passion that they're, you know, working on on the side or so they have their days to go back to school or to go act or, you know, do whatever they love to do in their free time. So do you think that there's some sort of like balancing act between, you know, obviously money plays a huge role. You can't do a lot with it as much as I'd like to say that money doesn't matter and move to a random island like that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Money's fundamental to how we carry out our day-to-day lives. Yeah, it's not pragmatic. You know, you have to, as much as you can see that it's like, a giant culture or culture scape, you kind of have to, you're almost forced to play the game, you know? Um, do you think, or how have you found that balancing act or? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, I think it's like a double standard, right? Because like we are forced to play the game because at the end of the day, we need a stable financial income and source to be sustainable, mm-hmm. right? Because truth of the matter is you cannot pursue what you love. You cannot partake in charity give back to society if you don't have that money, if you cannot take care of yourself and your family first. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my parents always say, if you want to help the others, make sure you have the means to support your family first. Right? Mm-hmm. It's always family first. You have to take the oxygen mask on a plane first, right? Absolutely. You can't save anyone if you can't yep. save yourself. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, so um, back to my story of, yeah, so on my resume and in the past, I graduated in 2016, so for the past three years, I had three jobs, and well, two and a half jobs. 
because I quit that first job six months into it. That's why it's not even on resume. Mm-hmm. Is that? But when you talk to the interviewers, uh, because as an employer, they're very curious about your loyalty, right? Is that how? Like, because what they see is grit. They're mm-hmm. like, oh, this kid quit a job six months into it. Did he get fired? Why did he quit? Does mm-hmm. he just not have that perseverance to stick it through? Does he have that very low pain threshold? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe he has very low threshold for tolerance. You know. And for my case, that was not the case. I mean, for many people out there, that is not necessarily the case. But that's not necessarily what the society and the culture perceives. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it is a double standard. It's very tricky. I think at the end, it really comes down to what you really believe to, uh, as a whole. Like, what do you believe? So at the end of the day, like other people's opinions, you're sure the whole point of interview and getting a job is to you want to impress the employer to get to mm-hmm. the second, right? In a sense, like job interviews are very similar to like going on dates. The whole point of dates is that you go on your first date, you do whatever you can to articulate or acknowledge and relay all these things that you know, get to the second date. Mm-hmm. And, uh, similarly speaking, you get to the second interview, third interview, and then you get your offer. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, having um, quite a few jobs definitely was an obstacle for me because a lot of employers question my integrity. A lot mm-hmm. of employers question my, my threshold for tolerance, for pain, for you know grit. And you know, words are words, but the best thing I could do and I did was to, you know, really, really relay my conviction, what I believed in and why I made the choice I made. Because I honestly have no regrets. I don't regret my decisions. Uh, I'm sure you don't regret leaving your big four accounting. But at the end of the day, every decision definitely has its consequences, mm-hmm. whether intended or unintended consequences. So yeah, it's, it's a very slippery uh, slope and I don't have a definite answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, what the fine balance is, is um, because I'm not sure where that balance lies either. But I think it takes time. But mm-hmm. the only way to find out is if you're willing to take that leap of faith, if you're willing to experiment a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea of balance is different for everybody, right? It Absolutely. all comes down to, like you said, what you believe, what you value. Some people, honestly, some people, money makes them really happy. I think in like a weird, sick, twisted way, there's some people that just find fulfillment and happiness in pursuing money. And that's that, fine. That's fine, you know, to each their own. Like everyone has the right to have their own freedom of ideas or freedom of in this case what they value but you know to your point you figure out what doesn't work for you right and i personally was pursuing money really hard i went to school to major in accounting i basically took the track to try and make as much money as i could in a safe like non-risk averse way i guess like being an accountant they said steady paycheck good bonuses you just work a lot So that just seemed like a good idea for the longest time. I didn't really like think about what a life being an accountant would be or what that would look like, but you just kind of run at it because I mean, society likes money a lot. It's like put in front of us a lot. You can do a lot with it, but you know, I tried that and I realized it didn't work for me and then kind of took another route and did something else. Um, Currently I'm working in finance at a healthcare company but it's very mission driven, right? So it's underneath Independence Blue Cross, which is a big company in in Philadelphia, but it's geared towards the lower income families. Um, so it's all Medicare and Medicaid across DC, Philadelphia, Delaware, and a few other states. But everyone there is just there for the mission, there to serve other people, there to make healthcare accessible to the people who really need it. and just different being around people with a why or with a passion that aren't just chasing money right so you know i'm very glad that i made that decision it was definitely challenging at the time to leave 
you know, one of the most prestigious accounting firms to a healthcare company that no one's ever heard of. But uh, personally, it works for me. Um, I'm not sure if that's the end game in all, but it's somewhere where I can definitely grow and I see myself for a good amount of time. So, Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, that's the exact reason why I got into a management consulting firm, because I had a few different offers. And in hindsight, with my uh, current path of trajectory, I should have chose public policy or public sector since the get-go because I want to be a, a diplomat, a politician. But I, pre I precisely and solely chose that management consulting firm because of the extremely high salary for a 21-year-old me at the time. So yeah, it was extremely attractive and, you know, it's like the glamour, right? And it was New York, right? Like you were living in New York, living like the lifestyle of... Yeah, DC. Yeah, oh, yeah. DC, right, um, right. So, yeah, just very appealing. Mm -hmm. And like I said, foresight versus hindsight. And, you know, hindsight, I should have made my career moves since the get-go, but I didn't have the hindsight back then, four years mm -hmm. ago. So I chose what I thought I wanted, which was money, mm -hmm. you know, but in the reality was I was working crazy 60, 65 hours a week. And I was just looking towards, towards every Friday and just clocking out so I can go to a club get a, a table service, buy drinks for the girls or for my friends. And, but the, it's all glamor and sure, those are, I still like to drink and have fun and those are definitely a big part of my social life, but that should not be my mission. I should not mm -hmm. be driven and I should not be money centric, right? Mm -hmm. but of course, you talked about some people are driven by money. Some people on Wall Street, uh, the traders, maybe some people are actually innately and intrinsically driven by money and there's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that, yeah. but that's not for me, you know? Mm -hmm. And the only way for me to find that out for myself is to actually try it for myself. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, I tried this because of what I thought, and I was wrong. So I left that position and to pursue something more meaningful, something more mission-oriented, something I really found myself in sync with my values. You mm -hmm. know? And I 100% do not regret that decision. I am so happy that I made this transition. Mm -hmm. and it sounds like you are too. But yeah, like, like we talked about, you got to do it and you'll find out when you find out. Mm -hmm. And I think no regrets, like you kind of just passed over it is something that, you know, you can just say to end a sentence, but like it really speaks volumes because like hindsight is the biggest lesson in the world, right? No matter what uh, situation you're going into or how challenging a certain time might be, once you get out on the other side, you're like, yo, I grew so much in that time or I learned so much by that experience. Like as challenging as that was, if I could do that, then I can do whatever the, you know, whatever you need to do. Um, same idea with like sports preseasons, you know, with, or with football that you played, you preseasons were probably brutal. Right. But if you get your, you know, ass kicked through that, then you come back and games are easy. You know, you're in shape. Games are no big deal because you went through the challenge and the pain and the difficult times of waking up at five and going to preseason and everything. Or, I mean, when you were working those 60, 70 hour weeks, right? Those blew. Like I did the same thing for six, six months at my public accounting job and sometimes leave the office, go home, sleep for four hours, come back and do the same thing over again for a week straight, right? Where you didn't take out the whole time, just everyone's, everyone's stressed out. You're around the same group. Like, um, I worked in audit, so you're at a table with four to six other people for 12 hours a time a day, every day for three months straight, right? So these are complete strangers. It definitely was challenging, but allowed me to grow in that sense, because if you can have that kind of team dynamic where you at least get along with everyone that you're sitting with, complete strangers from the moment you walk in, 
it uh, gives you a lot of like personal intelligence in a way like you know so and so gets very stressed out or someone likes to be left alone or someone likes talking through their problems it was like an interesting fast track into communicating with people I guess or at least I like to say not being a dick I guess like you if you were you know pissing people off it would be very clear right everyone's high stress everyone's around each other all day so it was invaluable in that sense at the time I wanted to quit every day in between work papers I was like researching new jobs every single day but coming out of it I learned so much in that time you know I grew a lot I learned all of those things and I mean was that kind of a similar experience like you did 60 to 70 hours a week for the entire time you were working there does that make your current job seem like easier in a sense or more rewarding or yeah, you know, what does um, that contrast or juxtaposition look like? Yeah, so when I worked in the private sector, I worked 60, 70 hours, 60, 65. And when I transitioned to Teach for America, I also worked 75 hours a week being full-time um, teacher and full-time grad school. Yeah, so it was a tremendous amount of work. And it definitely, I'm sure, same case for you, it definitely helped me to fine-tune and craft my work ethics. I don't want to say I have impactful work ethics, but it is pretty, pretty well-crafted. And yeah, it makes my current 50-hour job seem you know seemingly easy dude i can vouch you got my ass to the gym at 5 30 every morning yeah like we started doing that for a couple months straight like yep. the grind is no joke yeah but. and yes yeah, so i think at the end of the day it's about are you growing in your current job right or whether it's your life current stage in life or relationship the whole point is to grow because if you're stagnant then you're not growing anymore then you're just staying in the same place you're paddling the same path you know paddle mm -hmm. And you know that's this is not healthy and not sustainable, and it's about the amount of transferable skills you can take. Mm -hmm. So for you, it sounds like you you definitely acquired uh, or improved your social intelligence, your work ethics. You know, uh, the ability to not be a dick. You know, to uh, be able to cope, hang out with you know, and get along with multiple people, strangers. Yes, same for me. Uh, I definitely learned a lot. It was very transformative because it was so profoundly challenging in terms of the work hours. And then the unhealthy lifestyle at the time, but at the end of the day, I, I I learned a lot, and like thinking about, it, I feel like regret is the single most toxic poison in the world, because I don't know about you, I can still feel this lingering regret in the back of my mind of this girl I didn't go after in high school, or this girl I was afraid to talk to, or this opportunity that I was uh, too timid and afraid to seize, and those regrets will be with me for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Those regrets, those inability to take actions will always linger with me and I will always look back and think about those even until that I die I have, I have no doubt and so yeah um, I don't know if it's my mantra per se but I definitely you know want to take action when I want to I want to you know because actions of like 0 0.0001 is still greater than zero right mm -hmm. one is greater than zero action is all will always exceeds in action mm -hmm. as small as the action is yep. right it will always like I said 0 0.1 is still greater than 0 so yeah I don't have any regrets and I cannot say that it's gonna be my future but I guess my day-to-day -day goal my week-to-week -week goal my monthly goal my yearly goal is that I want to minimize my regrets you know mm -hmm. really partake do something that makes me happy mm -hmm. uh, maximize my ROI get to the optimal point of you know what really makes me tick what makes me wake up in the morning mm -hmm. like we're both extremely enthusiastic and passionate about working out like you said i i'm in the army reserve so i'm used to waking up early 
but I'm the fitness is has been a part of my life for years. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mind waking up at five thirty in the morning and hit the gym, pump some iron. That motivates me. My aesthetic, a physique, my physique, my healthness, my fitness, all those are motivating factors because everyone has different motivating factors. But for me, it's so I can drink, eat without repercussions, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, the aesthetic is w- one thing. So yeah, whatever motivates you, whatever helps you get out of bed, but those are all makes me happy. You know, mm-hmm. those are all those all contribute to my ROI of happiness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. You alluded to minimizing your regrets. What do you think is like the key to that? Or say, what if there's something that you think you regret? Like, what is the key to overcoming regrets? Because I know that's something that like people struggle with a lot, right? Say they blacked out on Friday and did something dumb or, you know, they made a mistake and missed work on Saturday morning or something. Like, what do you think's the key for people to overcoming those things that they might be regretting or dwelling on? I would say action. But of course, I want to predicate it by saying, don't be a dumb fuck. And <laughs> Very fair. Yeah, maybe if you yeah. have like a interview of a lifetime on a Monday, maybe don't go out and don't give go you day shit on, on Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. yeah, like just have common sense and be a respectable professional. That's definitely the uh, predicate of... But yeah, I think it's about action. At least for me, personally speaking, my regrets were bred and arose from my inability to take actions. Because like I said, for whatever reasons, I created all these self-inflicted excuses so I didn't take that action and what if I took that action mm-hmm. maybe I regret it either way right mm-hmm. the whole thing is you're going to regret either way a you're gonna regret you did it or B you're gonna regret you didn't do it mm-hmm. but at least for a regret a I know I did it yeah right and mm-hmm. I'd rather choose that I'd rather live a life of oh well versus oh, I could have should have would have because mm-hmm. for me personally the the latter produced far more sadness and sorrow you know and negative ever sentiment than the former option mm-hmm. so yeah i mean for everyone's different but for me definitely come down to action yeah uh, take a leap of faith mm-hmm. do something that challenges you yeah and sure maybe at the end of the day you will regret the action mm-hmm. but of course if you're confined within the reasonable boundaries of be respectful be professional you know i think you should be able to you know navigate those actions uh mm-hmm. in a reasonable manner that's awesome you bring that up because that's definitely something I've been struggling with and just like not doing the things that I know I could be doing. You know what I mean? Just because like, you know, sometimes it takes a leap of faith even just to go like talk to people sometimes or like you don't want to bother them or like, I don't know, you're in a weird situation or something. You just don't feel like inconveniencing the people around you or like even at work, you could take one presentation that you don't have to do and it's still you tried it. You tried doing it, but you're like growing with it. Um, and that's like, I read, um, this book called the Zen commandments and he alludes to the idea of awakened doing. So like basically being mindful in everything that you're doing. And then there's like three stages of it being acceptance. So like on a baseline, you should accept anything that's in front of you. Right. So like, even if it's like, I looked at that lamp, that lamp is black, or you looked at that towel, that towel is hanging on the door. You accept whatever's in front of you, whether it's like personal interactions or just things as they're going on. Then enthusiasm, things that like, you know, you're enthusiastic, really like soak in that enthusiasm. Like when we were going for the gym, like at 5.30, we were enthusiastic as fuck. Like, I don't know, we'd get there, like pre-workout kick in, like be enthusiastic about that. And then lastly being enjoyment. Like if you're really thriving in this specific thing, like enjoy the hell out of that time. Like going to music festivals is something I'm like really, really passionate about. So like when I'm there, I turn my phone off for four days. We like 
stand in the tent. We don't shower. We just enjoy the shit out of the entire experience and like really soak it in, you know? So it's like that idea of accepting, enjoying, or being enthusiastic about everything in front of you that, I don't know, could help limit or minimize regrets in a way. Yeah, um, so I simply put out, I like to look at it two ways. Uh, one way is that the unknown territory versus known territory. Mm-hmm. If you can increase the known territory and minimize the unknown territory, it's at least because the fear is the most primal instinct that humans have, right? Mm-hmm. And the more unknown it is, the more fearful you are. So how do you change that? How do you control, how do you reverse engineer that fear? By increasing the amount of known versus reducing the amount of unknown. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? Through actions, you know? Mm-hmm. And the second way is uh, controllable variables and inc- uncontrollable variables, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, too many worry to wall and be- become bitter and resent about the things that you're not controlling in life. Mm-hmm. So how do you increase that? Do more. The more you do, the more you be able to control. So just focus on the controllable variables. Like for you, what can you control? The process, right? You can you can absolutely control the process mm-hmm. if you choose to partake the action. If you choose to go to that festival, you'll be able to choose what you do. Don't shower. Turn off your phone. Enjoy. Be enthusiastic about the process. Those mm-hmm. are all controllable uh, territory, you know, uh, territories. Mm-hmm. And also about the known and unknown territories, you know. Don't worry, those are unknown territories. There's always going to be unknown territories. But unless you take that leap of faith, unless you turn that inability to do into ability to do something, then you're going to be able to transform those unknown into known. I think that the more known territories there are, the less unknown and the less fearful we're going to become. And I Mm -hmm. feel that's maybe a starting point to minimize regrets. Mm -hmm. And it's exciting to see how prevalent information is or accessible information is because I think people are going to have a lot more knowns growing up right now like you can not only research and find accessible word documents but in you know YouTube videos explaining word by word what conceptual complex ideas are like if we imagine growing up now as kids like it was not to say difficult to learn but like watching PBS like kids specials or NPR and things like that like learning is so much more digestible or like Skillshare or Coursera or like you can take brilliant classes on like how to draw how to take pictures how to do coding coding literally anything at the drop of a hat like aren't there six and twelve year olds who are master coders at this point like yeah it's so exciting to see how much more known territory is going to be there for the entire generation below us which might, like, to your coming full circle point at the very beginning, right? The older generation's always looking down. And while there's definitely issues that I'm concerned about, about, you know, babies swiping on iPads, I think this generation coming up is going to be, like, very knowledgeable, very, not, uh, you know, action-oriented and really, like, lead a revolution of sorts in terms of, you know, the oneness of the world, more or less, and putting, like, politics aside to actually do common good. 